0: From KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States, this is program number 12 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind. To sighted parents who have a blind child to blind parents who have sighted children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, how being blind can create posture problems, where to get your first white cane, a trip to a botanical garden, teaching your dog to wear booties, an update on getting out of riots or demonstrations you don't want to be in, How to keep your medicine organized both when you travel and at home. One of the things that can accompany being blind or going blind is poor posture.
1: But sometimes people aren't aware because you, as somebody who's traveling non-visually, you don't see your posture compared to other people's posture and that it's not upright and that your gait is different, your head tilt is different, your shoulders are slumped. You know, you rely on other people to inform you of those differences compared to sighted peers or or blind peers with good posture.
0: White cane and guide dog instructor Ellie Carlson says, Frequently, family and friends don't realize that you need to know if you have a posture problem or are uncomfortable telling you that you have bad posture.
1: So tactually, a way to check your own posture is to stand against a wall, put your back against the wall and feel, does the wall connect with your shoulders, with your hips? Uh, It shouldn't fully connect with your knees unless you're hyperextending your knees, but it should, you know, the the heels of your feet at the base of the wall, your your bottom uh, should be touching the wall and your shoulders can touch the wall. And your head can lean back and touch the wall. And by aligning yourself tactually to a vertical surface, the wall, you can develop a muscle memory for what does it feel like to stand in good posture? What does it feel like to have all these joints stacked top to bottom? And if you're feeling like you're, your feet aren't able to connect with the heels on the wall, if your head can't lean back to connect with the wall, Those may be indicators that there's a posture issue you can seek help for.
0: If you've had incorrect posture for a long time, you might find that you just can't suddenly stand in a correct position. That's because the muscles that hold your body correctly have atrophied and that the muscles that hold your shoulders and head incorrectly are nice and strong. If that's the case, you might need physical therapy. Your therapist will help you stretch the muscles pulling you incorrectly and help strengthen the muscles in your body that will hold you in a correct position. Don't expect your eye doctor to talk to you about posture if you go to an eye doctor, but there are a few specialty eye clinics that will. Dr. Kara Hansen vision rehabilitation optometrist at the University of Colorado Hospital at Aurora, Colorado, says her clinic can treat posture problems.
2: For the people with monocular vision, we'll often have our occupational therapists work with them on scanning techniques that they can use to help to enhance their peripheral vision and their ability to see things on the non-seeing side better. So it's not that they, that the person would constantly have their head turned towards the non-seeing side. It's more that they turn their head that way when they need to in order to see what's on that side so they can avoid obstacles. For the people with monocular vision, we'll often have our occupational therapists work with them on scanning techniques that they can use to help to enhance their peripheral vision and their ability to see things on the non-seeing side better. So it's not that they that the person would constantly have their head turned towards the non-seeing side. It's more that they turn their head that way when they need to in order to see what's on that side, so they can avoid obstacles. Driving, sometimes we will use prism in the glasses to help to correct an anomalous head position. So, for example, again, if the person with nystagmus sees their nystagmus is more quiet in down gaze we could use base down prism which will shift the image up wait it's backwards we use base up prism to shift the image down because the eyes want to see they do better in down gaze so it's more a matter of shifting the image towards where the eye is positioned and that could work with somebody who has monocular vision loss for example if the eye is turned in more, and the person is not able to move the eye out, then we can put base out prism to shift the image towards where the eye is pointing, and that can help to let them have a more straight-ahead head position.
0: White Cane and Guide Dog instructor Ellie Carlson says many posture problems can be prevented by making sure your white cane or guide dog harness is the correct length. By having a professional orientation and mobility instructor help you, select a white cane and give you some basics on how to use it. A good way to find an instructor is to call your State Department of Vocational Rehabilitation and ask for blind services. They probably will be able to help you with a lot more than just finding an O&M instructor. I got my first white cane the day I couldn't see the E on the eye chart because I was afraid I was going to get hit by a car. And I guess it worked because I haven't been hit by a car or an E. Simon Bonifont has some tips on where to get white canes. And cane tips you might find useful. The National Federation of the Blind in Baltimore, Maryland, and the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco, California, have stores that sell adaptive equipment, including white canes and cane tips. L S N S, an online store that sells both vision and assistive hearing supplies, and Ambutec sells white canes online and through their 800 number. There are two philosophies on what kinds of white canes people should use. Short canes that come to your breastbone and very lightweight long canes that come to your forehead and the top of little kids' heads. Most of us here at the Tactile Traveler use long canes. Anyone who is blind or visually impaired can get one cane free from the National Federation of the Blind by going to nfb.org whitecanes. My cane skills are so good now that I could take some first aid classes and get a job as a last responder. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Simon.
3: We're going to start in the Upper Sensory Garden, although the Garden Club of America is having a conference here, so they have a tent set up, but that tent is not normally in the garden. Um, but I want to show you guys the statue that is in the garden. She's named Flower Girl, and she was intended to be enjoyed by people with vision impairments. Well, by all people, but, but that was a population the artist had in mind.
0: Lee McCoy, horticultural therapist, and Aaron Bird, communications director for the denver botanic gardens leading lydia and me through their century gardens before COVID 19 restrictions lee says flower girl is the most popular exhibit in the garden but not the most experiential it's peppermint so if
4: okay,
3: you stop here and then reach your left hand down you'll find a rock with water
0: oh okay
3: so it's a a big rock that's gurgling with water um, and when we don't have the construction going on um, you can hear it gurgling and I read on the um, on the Audubon website that gurgling water attracts migratory birds um, which I've noticed we have the Western goldfinch comes down here and they splash around as well as the robins the dragonflies come and drink from it the butterflies come and drink from it it's a, it's a neat feature.
0: Okay, and what's in the middle of it just the
3: um fault. just a, a hole drilled in the middle of a rock. And so the water then comes up from the base of the rock and kind of spills down the rock.
0: The most amazing plant is the snake gourd.
3: And you don't want to tug too hard cuz this thing's pretty heavy, but if you re- there you go. Oh wow! Yeah.
0: Yeah. So okay. that's
3: the snake gourd.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. And this is a gourd.
3: It's a gourd, yeah.
0: So is it edible or anything? It is. Yeah,
3: and it's it's a huge vine. It probably grows a foot a night.
0: It grows a foot a night. At least,
3: yeah. How how long <laughs> yeah. will it be then? Um, well, it's not cold hardy to this region, so as soon as we get a freeze, it it'll die. it's at least 60 or 70 feet long, um, and I grew them from seed, which I planted in June.
0: Lee McCoy says smelling flowers has an effect you might not have thought of for some people who can see.
3: See if that smell reminds you of anything.
0: It does, but I don't know what it is. Geranium. Oh, it's geranium.
3: Yeah, so a lot of people's either grandmother or mother or somebody used to grow those, and to a lot of people it's a very familiar smell. When I work with my folks that have Alzheimer's or dementia, that often uh, triggers a memory for them.
0: I've never gardened. So what I was learning was new and interesting. However, Lydia, who has a little vision in one eye, has gardened. So what she was seeing, feeling, and smelling was more meaningful to her.
5: Very wonderful experience for me. I knew most of the plants I believe Erin had given me because I grew them in my garden and it You know this is such a wonderful experience that i recognize the smell by the touch
0: and feel lee mccoy says people who come with a sighted guide will have no problem experiencing the gardens on their own but because of covid19 regulations you'll need reservations if you or everyone in your group is blind Call the Exhibits Department at the Denver Botanical Gardens in advance and they'll arrange to have someone guide you. Just like we were guided, you can expect to spend a couple of hours enjoying all of the century exhibits. For a free online directory of century gardens and Braille trails all over the world, go to the Braille Trail website at naturefortheblind.com. The directory also includes lots of information on additional nature experiences for folks who are blind and for people with additional disabilities. Really hot or cold surfaces, like sidewalks and blacktop parking lots, can be hard on the paws of guide dogs, as well as pet dogs. To make things more comfortable, getting your four-legged friends to wear booties is a step in the right direction. Phyllis Chavez has some tips you might find useful.
6: Cheryl Vincent, training supervisor for Guide Dogs for the Blind, Boring Oregon
7: Campus said, we will sit down with the dogs on the ground, and we will have the four booties there, and we'll let the dog sniff it, and they'll, they'll give it a quick sniff, and we'll typically pair that with a food reward, and then at that point, we'll put the, the booty on the dog's foot and give them another food reward, and then same thing with the other feet, and and we'll go through all four feet and and to get the dog used to that, and then once the dog has the booties on, the instructors will, you know, reinforce them, pet them up, tell them they're great dogs, and then they'll let them kind of prance around a little bit with the booties. They they might do some high-stepping initially because they, they've got these shoes on. And then, and then they'll go for a walk. Stopping and rewarding the dog with a food reward periodically. And honestly, most dogs get used to that within a very short period of time. The dogs will be walking with their, their booties. And initially, they might be kind of trotting like a, a prancing horse. <laughs> and then within... It could be within yards. Pretty soon, the dog is just walking normally. Cheryl said, "You can use a simple reward. Majority of their food reward is actually kibble. We each dog has a certain amount of rationed food that they get for the day, and we will subtract that amount from their um, from their food so that we're not we don't want our dogs to get fat. <laughs> so we make sure the dog is given a specific amount." and they'll, they'll use a kibble. But most of the time with our dogs, getting a, a kibble is a, a really big deal to them, the other type.
0: Phyllis, how did it go getting your guide dog, which came from Guide Dogs for the Blind, to wear booties?
6: She saw the booties, so she knew what they were for. So I gave her some kibble, and then I started putting on the boots one at a time. And in between, I was giving her a kibble. Guide dogs, especially yellow labs, are very smart, and they want to have a lot of attention. So it all works out.
0: Thank you, Phyllis. Today is Election Day in the United States, and we know that regardless of who the winner is, there'll be a lot of unhappy people. A lot of those people will be demonstrating in the streets of America and in other countries. Jason Struther has a reminder on what to do if you accidentally end up in one of those demonstrations or worse.
8: All of program number eight was about what to do if you're blind and end up in a protest that you'd rather not be in. Tactile traveler listener, Marinda Lowry, is a graduate student at Oxford University in England. She was caught up in a demonstration while she was an undergraduate there.
6: About a year ago, the notorious Oxford Union, which is a society that, it's a debating club and they're famous for bringing lots of controversial speakers with crazy ideas. And so there are protests that happen outside of it, outside the, the union building, almost every couple of weeks. This was before the coronavirus. So there would be protests every few weeks, and it's right next to my department building. So I was walking to the library one day with my white cane, and I heard some shouting, but I didn't think much of it because there's often protesting outside. And I just kept walking and then the protest was larger than I thought it was, and I got disoriented, and I couldn't find my way out, and it was a a scary situation, but I managed to get to the side of the road and just follow my usual route. It was definitely scary, and I I made a beeline out of there and, and went to the library, and just, I kind of sat there, and I think, texted my parents and said, ah, oh, there was a protest, it was really scary, but I'm okay now.
8: Edward Bell is professor and director of the Professional Development and Research Institute on Blindness at Louisiana State Technical University. He teaches blind people how to get out of any kind of crowd, whether that's outdoors or indoors.
9: Stay calm. Generally, if there's a big you know, crush of people moving like that, you probably want to move in the same direction as everybody. I mean, the worst thing is try to to go up against the stream. If you've got, you know, 5,000 people coming down a narrow narrow corridor, uh, you don't want to try to go against the traffic if you can help it. But when you turn around and, you know, as you said, you're kind of in the crush and, you know, in the middle, you can slowly begin to work your way toward one side or the other. And through echolocation, which is being able to hear sounds off of walls and stuff, you can get a sense of am I right in the middle of the road or am I closer to the right side or closer to the left side or the hallway. And let's say you're in a big building. And when you can hear that, you're closer to one wall or the other, you just keep moving with the flow of the traffic, but kind of sort of sidestep a little more a little more and kind of work your way back out of the crowd, using your cane, of course, to find your path in front of you so you're not tripping over other people or not tripping people, and work your way over the wall and, and get, get out of the flow of traffic, and then you decide what you want to do from there.
8: For more information about getting out of demonstrations or how to safely participate in ones you'd like to be in, take a listen to Tactile Traveler, episode number eight.
0: Thank you, Jason. When you travel, keeping track of your medicine can be a bigger pain than that the medicine is intended to relieve. And it can be even harder if you're blind. Lydia Eckert has a tip you might find useful.
5: It's by keeping your medicine both at home and on the road in a folding cosmetic bag uh, made out of soft plastic Like the material in heavy plastic raincoats, the big ones have three compartments, which makes it easy to sort your pills by keeping morning pills in one compartment, evening pills in another, and medicine that you take both morning and night in a third compartment. They have a built-in hanger that makes it easy to hang them up on a closet rod. On the hooks, in the closet, or on the back of doors, or on doorknobs, dresser handles, and coat trees. They fold up like a letter that you put in an envelope. So all you have to do when your pocket is to fold it up and drop it into your carry-on bag, suitcase, or backpack. They cost between 18 and 25 in the cosmetic departments, in stores, and online. Lots less than losing your medicine. Not to blind guys. They come in black, but they also come in pink. And in flower patterns. So make sure the one you buy is the color you want.
0: Thank you, Lydia. Why, it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell Traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your stories from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line. To the Tactile Traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the Tactile Traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are available for our deaf listeners by searching The Tactile Traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts and by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, the Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following people and organizations that helped make this program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support and Apple Accessibility Tech Support Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Joan Eisenberg, Becca Wortham, Joe Beaver, Aaron Berg, lucas turner and raleigh burley this has been the tactile traveler empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way i'm nick eisenberg this has been a presentation of kdnk community access radio